Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. If you're a parent who feels the working world is not set up for raising kids, this year's federal election is the time to make your voice heard. The Parenthood are lobbying politicians to agree to one year of shared paid parental leave and universal access to early childhood and outside school hours care. Imagine the difference those things would make, not just to your own family life, but to the future of your child. Georgie Dent is the executive director of the Parenthood, and I should mention the Parenthood is an advocacy group for parents. Hi, Georgie. How are you? Hi, I'm well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, I've mentioned uh, the policies you'd like to see politicians to commit to just then in the introduction there, but could you actually paint us a picture of what family life could look like if those policies were implemented? Yes, I absolutely can. And it is a pretty compelling image, I think. And even just then when you were sort of asking that question of, you know, imagine what family life might look like if when you had a baby, there was 12 months of paid parental leave that was shared between two carers. Imagine if when it came to deciding how and when you want to return to work, if high quality early childhood education and care was free or nearly free. And regardless of of where you live and what your income status is, that that your child could have access to an amazing early learning service. That, for a lot of families in Australia right now, sounds like some sort of wild utopia because it is a really long way away from what we have here. So Australia has got one of the least adequate paid parental leave schemes in the OECD. So in the OECD countries, so just over 40 countries, the average length of paid parental leave is more than 50 weeks. Now, in Australia, parents get 20 weeks at the minimum wage. That is a huge gap. And what that means is it sets mums and dads up on really different paths from the moment a baby is even conceived, um, sometimes even before the baby is conceived. All of our policies point towards that when a baby comes along, Dad's work life will not change. In fact, he'll probably start working and earning more. Whereas after a baby, a mum's life changes dramatically and they are expected to take on the vast majority of the caring um, responsibilities. And there's absolutely a component of choice involved there. But the policies we have here in Australia mean parents aren't really freely choosing what works for them and their family. They're being forced to make a decision about what is the only option that they can make work. And often that is for one person to really pull back from work. Can you explain universal access? Because I think it can confuse people. It currently can mean different things depending on where you live in Australia. But also you can hear politicians saying, we have universal access to childcare. And I think what you're saying is something different to what certain politicians think we already have. Look, I think it would be a pretty brave politician to say at the moment that we have universal access to early childhood education and care. They could certainly make the argument that there is capacity for most children to be able to attend some form of early learning. But what we know is that Australia has got some of the most expensive childcare in the world. 
We've also got a situation where depending on where you live, there may be upwards of eight children for every available spot in an early learning service. And, you know, it won't surprise people to know that it is far worse, generally speaking, in rural um, and regional areas. But there are also pockets really close to capital cities right around the country where families struggle to get access to the early learning service that they would ideally like their children to have. So we have got a really peculiar situation in Australia where a lot of decisions are made about limiting work because the cost is so high that they can't make it work. And I mean, just yesterday, the Federal Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, was saying that you know, the dignity of a job is so important because that's how people can provide for their families. And that's what at the moment is impeding lots of families from being able to provide for their children in the way they want, because even if they have a job, um, the cost of care is so high that it doesn't make sense for them to work more than three days a week. And so they don't. So when we talk about universal access, I'm saying imagine early learning was like primary school. If you've got a child who's turning five or six in any particular year, there is a spot for that child at the local primary school. Now, it doesn't matter if that child's parents are millionaires or they've been unemployed for 10 years. There's still a spot for every child. And that's really the frame we have to start looking at the early years through. Because the other thing that we know is that the ages between zero and five are the most richly formative time in a child's life. Um, So what happens in the early years quite literally sets children up for either lifelong advantage or lifelong disadvantage. And children who attend high quality early learning and care go on to have improved educational, social, health and economic outcomes over the course of their lives, which is why this is such a sort of powerful reform that we should absolutely be demanding at this federal election, because it is something that would not just create jobs and increase productivity because it would enable parents to work more. Um, It would also generate employment in the sector itself. But we would also be setting children up for success. And whether or not you've got children yourself, we all stand to benefit from a future in which as many children are supported to thrive as possible. The other thing about early childhood education, of course, is the teachers. And there's been a lot of uh, news coverage about the kind of exodus that we're seeing of early childhood teachers because of the low rates of pay and the lack of support that they get. How do you set up a system where everyone can afford childcare, but also that the teachers are being paid a decent wage? Yes. So look, this is a really important question and um, I'll I'll, I'll answer it in two ways. Firstly, I want to say that there have been a lot of um, stories over the last two years in particular about the workforce shortages that we are seeing in early education and care. Now, a survey of just under 5,000 educators last year showed that 72% of early educators are planning on leaving the sector within three years. Now, generally speaking, there's roughly turnover of about 30% in that workforce every year, which is incredibly high. Mm. And that is problematic on a number of levels because the sort of biggest determinant of quality early education and care are the educators themselves. And if we are not attracting and then retaining educators and giving them the time to develop their skills, to develop their competency, and they're leaving, 
we miss out on all of that sort of richness in terms of the quality that they could be bringing to that vocation. Now, the reason that early educators are leaving in droves is because they are one of the lowest paid cohorts of workers in Australia. So if you are a bricklayer with a Cert 3 qualification, your average take-home pay is about $2,000 a week. If you're an early educator with a Cert 3 and you're working full-time, your average take-home pay is about $950 a week. Wow. Now, that is a huge discrepancy. And what we also see is that early educators have found themselves effectively on the front line of a pandemic. They were the only cohort of workers who were taken off JobKeeper. So we had the period where um, childcare was free for three months. And at the end of that period, early educators were taken off JobKeeper. So what we have seen is the fact that they are often paid poorly, that they're employed insecurely, and then they've had to carry a huge load for two years when they don't feel appreciated, they don't feel valued, and they're exhausted, they're leaving. Now, that is a disaster because without early educators, there is no early education. And when it comes to that sort of conundrum about, well, how do we pay educators well without that becoming unaffordable to families, I say we have to look at primary school again because when it comes to my children attending our local primary school, there are some fees. It's not particularly expensive, but there are some fees. But what we're not expected to pay as parents is the building costs for all of the, um, the land on which the school is on. We're not expected to pay as individual parents the wages of teachers. We're not paying effectively to operate and run a school. When it comes to early education and care, parents are being asked to fork out for all of those costs. And in the same way that it would be completely unaffordable if individual patients had to pay for the whole running of a hospital, we have to look at these public services and think there's room here for public funding and it's not realistic that individual parents could foot the bill for the whole hospital or the whole early learning service. And there is really compelling economic evidence that investing that money in a high quality early learning system actually pays for itself. So it is, there's no way around the fact that it's a significant upfront investment, but it literally pays for itself in the short term and in the long term. So why would we not pursue a system? If you think about it, and so children in Australia at the moment, at least one in five arrive at school developmentally vulnerable. In regional and rural areas, it's two in five. Um, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children, it's two in five. Now, when children arrive at school behind, they rarely, if ever, catch up. We know that if we get those kids into quality early learning, they're half as likely to be developmentally vulnerable. But we don't have that at the moment. We're not, despite the fact that there are a lot of amazing early educators and great early learning services right around the country, we're not having this sort of uniform outcome where enough children are going and getting the benefits they need. We also don't have parents in a position to take on the work that they want, and we've got educators leaving. And so the question I ask politicians is, if our system isn't working for children, it's not working for parents, and it's not working for educators, then who is it working for? And why are we spending the billions of dollars that we are on a subsidy system that's not delivering? Now, you know you're preaching to the choir here, don't you? Because I'm 100% behind everything that you were just talking about. And a lot of those arguments aren't new. So the early childhood sector has long been campaigning for all of the things you mentioned there. 
And it seems to have fallen on deaf ears, even though the logic and the rationale behind it is so solid and it makes so much sense. Do you have any optimism that this election politicians will be listening to this sector, to what you're asking for, even though the election was only just called? Are you seeing any signs yet that you will get a response from these calls? I think that I am absolutely optimistic that this federal election can change the future of Australia for the better. I think that across the board there is an appetite among voters of different ages, different life stages, different regional, you know, physical locations. I think there is a willingness um, among Australians having gone through the last two years that we have. I think there is an increased recognition of what a sustainable, equitable future looks like. I think that you're absolutely right in that none of this information is new. There have been people advocating for these sorts of changes for decades, and I am grateful for the work that they've done and the way that they've paved that path because it's not easy when you are sort of fighting a fight like this where you know that the outcomes could be so much better. But what is different is that over the last two years, there is more coordination and collaboration on this particular reform. So, you know, at the Parenthood, we are members of the Thrive by Five campaign, and that is a campaign that's funded by the Mindaroo Foundation. There are more than 50 partners who work on that, and the partners include organisations as diverse as um, ARACI or the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, the Parenthood, Chief Executive Women, ACTU, Playgroup Victoria. It's a really broad coalition. And while all of the partners have got a slightly different um, reason for why they want this reform, we are all united in the fact that we know that this is one policy reform that would improve the lives of children and families and women more dramatically than anything else. And the size of that campaign and the coordination among all of us in that, I think, has brought us to a point where the coalition, um, the federal coalition did in the 2021 budget, they did put down an additional $1.7 billion. And now that went into the the two-child situation, sort of appeasing the pressure point when you've got two children under five in early learning. Now, anyone who's ever had a period of time when that happens, it is eye-wateringly expensive (laughs) and relieving that pressure is welcome. Now, uh, look, I'm sure there are lots of people that would like to take credit for that, but I am absolutely confident that the parenthood is part of the picture that led to the federal government thinking we do need to put some more money into early education and care. Now, always welcome additional spending, but my issue with that particular change was that it would benefit 250,000 families to a small extent, but there are 750,000 other families who don't get any benefit at all. And therefore, I would say, let's look at the efficiency of our spend. And if we're putting more money into a subsidy system that over the last decade has just really consistently seen prices increase without any corresponding increase in educators' wages, without any huge improvement in affordability for parents, without any increase, uniform increase in child development outcomes, then why are we throwing money at the same thing and expecting a different outcome. I am optimistic, though, because 
In the October 2020 budget reply speech, Anthony Albanese, the leader of the Labor Party um, and leader of the opposition, pledged to, if he was to become Prime Minister, he would want universal access to early childhood education and care and likened it to a Medicare scale reform. Wow. Now, the Labor Party have committed to a number of immediate changes to the subsidy that would that would make a fairly significant difference in affordability to families. Um, and actually, if you have children in early learning, I definitely recommend there's um, a website called kindycare.com.au and they have got reviews of from parents and they've got up-to-date fee information of I think it's about 90% of all early learning services in the country but they have got a federal election calculator and it is so easy to use. And in two minutes, you can plug in your details and you will see how much better off you would be under the proposed policies from the Labor Party, the Liberal Party, and even the Thrive by Five campaign. So go and have a look at that. Labor have made a commitment to universal access and that is something that I'm holding on to because that is where we need to go. Now, I am under no illusions that saying you're committed to universal access and then implementing all of the steps necessary to get there, that's a huge leap. But the fact that it's been flagged as something, as a signature policy platform, is not nothing. It's, it is very significant. We haven't had that before in Australia's political history. So the election is not too far away, May 21. If parents want to check in and see where different parties are on their policies regarding paid parental leave or early childcare and education. Will you be doing updates at all on the Parenthood website or, or do you recommend just going back to that website, thekindycare.com.au? Where do you think parents should keep their eye on to just cut through all the noise that an election generates? So what I would say is absolutely the kindy care calculator is the most simple tool and it will show you exactly what you would save. For general updates, I would obviously recommend that you follow the parenthood on social media. We'd love you to sign our petition called Parents Up and that's where we're asking for those commitments. At the moment, we haven't seen any pledges around paid parental leave from the major parties. Now, that's disappointing and that's something that we will be talking about um, between now and the election because it is a critically important policy. But the other thing that is interesting about this upcoming election is the rise of the sort of so-called teal independent candidates. So we've got a number of, they are mostly professional women who have reached, you know, a lot of them have got sort of teenage children. They've worked in different, you know, whether they're doctors or whether they've been journalists or whether they've been business leaders, they're running for, for a seat in the federal parliament. And a number of those independent candidates are passionately committed to these sorts of policies. And that is, again, and I can say that um, both Zali Stegel, the member for Warringah, and Helen Haynes, the candidate for Indi, they're both really committed to these policies. We've had a number of productive meetings um, for a long time. The Greens, um, Senator Maureen Faruqi is incredibly supportive of these policies. And that represents an opportunity in terms of, you know, none of us can predict right now exactly what the next federal parliament will look like. But I'm really confident that if we've got a crossbench that has got a couple of representatives who are committed and understand the significance of these issues, that will also be a good outcome for parents and children and families. Because, you know, if you reflect on the current government that we've got, 
there are very few people in our cabinet that have done the juggle of, of work and care. And you don't have to personally do something, you know, to have any understanding of it. But when you have done it, your understanding is completely different. And so I think that if we do have people in parliament who have lived experience of, of juggling work and care and the kids and, you know, if, if you know how critically important things like paid parental leave and access to early learning and care are, if you know that, you understand it. And my sort of belief is that once you start to see this and once you start to understand it, you can't unsee it and you can't sort of uncare about it. And so that's the other thing that I guess is filling me with optimism is that I would really love for every Australian to go to this election and think about electing people that you believe will prioritise children and families and women because, you know, in 2020, UNICEF ranked Australia 32nd out of 41 countries on child wellbeing. Wow. And it actually specifically called out the fact that we're failing to deliver consistently good outcomes, mental health, educational, social outcomes for children. Now, most people who discover that are shocked because, you know, Australia, we know, is a wealthy country. How could it be that a country as wealthy as ours that's supposedly as fair and caring as ours could have a situation where child wellbeing is lagging so badly? It's not okay and we can't ignore that any longer. Um, and this election is an opportunity to vote for a better deal for children, for parents and for women. Well, Georgie, I think you have just given me more optimism about this election than I had before. So thank you for that and thank you for all the info and thank you for speaking with us today. That is absolutely my pleasure and I hope that the optimism is well-founded. <laughs> I think we can make it, I think the thing is we can make it well-founded. I think if we all vote intentionally and mindfully about the kind of leaders that we want in Parliament, I am optimistic about what's possible. That's Georgie Dent. She's the Executive Director of The Parenthood and we'll put links to Kindicare and to The Parenthood in the notes of this episode. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.